You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. All right, you're listening to Make Liberty Great Again. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I will do my introductory voice and we'll get this started, Mike. You know we love you, right? This is really lame. (laughs) Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again. The best damn liberty podcast that you've never heard of. I'll be your guide as we peer into the ridiculous reality that is our society and our government. Let's get to it. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again. I'm your host, Cam Harless, and with me today is Ryan from Techno Agorist, and we're joined by the host of Godarchy, Thoughts from Meharry Head, the Friday Gold Rap Podcast. He works for the Tenth Amendment Center. He edits everything that uh, Schiff ever writes. He's the author of the Constitution Owner's Manual, the real Constitution politicians don't want you to know about, and a lizard bitch. Welcome to the show, Mike Meharry. What the hell's a lizard bitch? <laughs> All right, I have a couple of corrections. I don't edit anything that Peter Schiff writes. What? I thought you I, you just write things for him. I write all of the content for the Schiff Gold website. But funny story, I've worked for Schiff Gold now for like three or four years. I've never met Peter Schiff. I've never even actually talked to Peter Schiff. I've exchanged a few emails with him. but He's not really that involved with the... Uh, with the cold business. Well, the reason I said lizard bitch was because uh, at some point on Facebook in the last week, we were ta- somehow we got into a conversation and lizard people were mentioned. And I believe someone called Hillary Clinton a lizard bitch. Ah, yes. <laughs> and um, and then I understand we, the reference. <laughs> and then when last time you were supposed to come on the show, uh, you got caught up chasing a lizard in your house. So I, I did. I connected those two. So that's a funny story. And, uh, you know, just just for the audience, it's like almost my bedtime. So I will not be responsible for whatever ramblings that I may <laughs> engage in. But yeah, my You're mother-in-law. Old. We forgive you. That's that's true. That's very true. My mother-in-law <laughs> is is horrified of the lizards. Now, it's funny because she's starting to warm to the lizards. She lives in Florida, and yet she's afraid of or doesn't like lizards. Well, you know, she's only been here. They're for, everywhere. She's only been here since December. Oh, and, wow. Okay. Uh, so, so, uh, and she's from West Virginia. They don't have lizards in West Virginia. Right. I know everybody cares. All of the listeners are have now tuned out. So <laughs> you're, you're welcome for me ruining your show forever. Mike is old and he's tired, so we're just going to, yeah, they, they'll forgive you. Don't worry. It's not ruined forever, just till you're gone. Oh, okay. (laughs) Cam and I are still here. Yeah, we'll make it interesting. Do our best. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. One, because I like you um, as a human being. I like you guys, too. You're good people. (laughs) And secondly, uh, the last time I talked to you was like a year ago, I think, on the show. And we were talking about your, um, your lawsuit against the city for over surveillance cameras. And I know that unfortunately that came to an end, but I I'm just curious what, since you moved to Florida, what kind of trouble are you starting now? (laughs) Well, I haven't really started any. Okay. So I'll give you, I'll give everybody, I'm going to give an exclusive scoop. Okay. Okay. This is something I, I have not told anybody. The only people that know this are my lawyers my partner in crime, Clay Davis, and my wife. I'm going to tell everybody on your show what it is that the Lexington Police Department was trying to hide. Uh, So, well, let's back up a second. I'll give people the real quick overview of of what happened. Uh, This goes back, gosh, I guess three years ago now. Um, uh, I won't go through the whole thing, but in, in a nutshell, I did an open records request to the city uh, trying to get information about surveillance technology that the police department was using. And uh, they came back and informed me that they had 24 quote unquote mobile surveillance cameras, but they wouldn't disclose any information on them. Good. And so, yeah. So I, um, I did an open records request, like I said, and since they denied it, then my 
option was to either accept that they weren't going to give me any information or to appeal to the state attorney general. And they have an actual division that handles open records requests and, and de denials. And so I appealed to the uh, state attorney general and they sided with me and said that the city should hand over these documents. And so instead of handing over the documents, the city of Lexington sued me. So I didn't actually sue the city. The city sued me. Hmm. Um, and, and this is an odd quirk of the Kentucky open records law. Uh, if either party is not happy with the attorney general's decision, then the next step is to sue, not the attorney general who you're unhappy with, but the other party. So, Come on. Uh, yeah. So, this went on it drug on i i won at the circuit court level and then the uh the city filed a motion to reconsider at circuit court i won that uh it then went to the kentucky state court of appeals and uh they remanded it back to the circuit court uh basically saying that the city had a right to dis uh Basically, they they wanted to convince the court in secret that the cameras needed to be in secret. It's called an in-camera review. And so we did that, and uh, it ended up actually going to a different judge when it went back, and she was very pro-police. Like your boss. <laughs> like Peter Schiff. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, so anyway, they they found in the city's favor and we could have appealed it back to the state court of appeals again but at this point i'm in florida it's been three years uh we did actually establish something pretty important in open records law uh because initially the city was just trying to assert well we don't have to tell you what these cameras are all about because we don't want to and you just have to take our word that it's going to create this undue burden on us hmm. and the appeals court basically set the precedent that uh, the police can't just say that and, and they have to provide some proof that it will create a burden. So in a, in a sense, I, I think I did actually strengthen the open records law a bit. And that's one of the reasons we decided mm. not to appeal to the uh, appellate court because we didn't want to risk, you know, jeopardizing that. So, right. But, um, the the funny part of the story is that i i've known from the very beginning what some of these cameras are because the lexington police department is not good at redacting documents <laughs> and for all of you people who want to redact documents out there i'll give you a pro tip don't use a magic marker because when you use a magic marker you can make a copy of the document and hold it up to the light and read exactly what it says uh so um <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what all 24 of the cameras were, but I do know for a fact that the Lexington Police Department has cameras that they can disguise in the uh, streetlights. And oh. they also have cameras that can be disguised as utility boxes. And really? then they also have uh, apps on their uh, iPhones that can be used to secretly record. And that's, I think, more for like undercover work. Um, so there you go. Those are those are two of the things that the Lexington Police Department was trying to hide that they thought you should not know about. And now your listeners know. And I, like I said, I haven't disclosed that. And at some point I'm going to do a press release in, in Lexington, but I just haven't gotten around to it because, you know. Well, thank COVID. you for uh, for telling us. So there you go. Y'all got a scoop. Very nice. You know, the the whole thing is is enraging and, and just from a... Um, a transparency standpoint. I mean, we still don't, I, I, like I said, I know what those cameras are. I don't have any earthly idea what their policies are and nobody does, uh, you know, what the policies are for deploying them, how they store the information. Do they get warrants? Just trust them, Mike. They have your best interests in mind. I know. It's all I know, for you. I know. Why are you questioning them when they're just trying to help, man? But, you know, the basis of their denial of the records request was that if anybody knew what kind of cameras they had, they would have to get rid of them and buy new ones because <laughs> they're so super secret. And now that people know the bad guys are going to be looking for those streetlight cameras. Shooting at the streetlights. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, but I think some of the cameras too were probably, you know, like smaller that were used for undercover work. And I, I mean, I get it, but 
uh, I'm sorry, government, you don't get to hide things from the people that pay for them. At least that's my never to be humble opinion. Isn't that what public means? <laughs> you're not allowed into public buildings. You're not allowed on public lands. You're not allowed. Yeah. Need licenses to drive on public roads. The word public is a spook. Yeah. It's an excuse. <laughs> it's an excuse to hold us responsible for stuff and charge us for stuff while the uh, megalomaniacs hold all the actual power. Yes. Sociopaths. That's what I call all government officials and politicians. They're all sociopaths. <laughs> You're not wrong. And pedophiles and murderers. No, I'm not wrong else. at all. <laughs> there, there are a couple of exceptions to that rule, but they're far and few between. What word, like, adequately covers pedophiles, sociopaths, possibly <laughs> psychopaths, every path you can imagine other than Hillary Clinton? Is there any other word out there that you can use to describe all those? Uh, Bill Clinton. I don't know. Bill Clinton. <laughs> yeah. Okay, him too. <laughs> I don't that know. Works. I think I think they all are to varying degrees. They're all Hillary's. They're all Bill's. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, my podcast changed a lot because of coronavirus. Because the first two months of it, I put out like one episode per month because I couldn't do it anymore. I could not deal with the news being the same thing and being depressing. And I was just depressed for a couple months. And so now I just have conversations with people I like, and we talk about whatever comes up. So how he do also you let me on? Yeah. Yeah. I have to let Ryan on because you know, he pays me. Right. <laughs> um, so how have you been dealing with the coronavirus? Are you dead yet? No, I, I'm I'm fine. You know, I, I honestly think that we might have had it very early on, like in February. I think so too. Uh, for us, my my wife got really really sick after a trip to Utah, and uh, as sick as I've ever seen her in terms of of like flu symptoms and whatnot. But she didn't have any respiratory issues, so I mean, who knows? I got sick a few days after she did, but mine was all in the stomach. But now they tell us that that the coronavirus can actually manifest as nausea. I think any symptom that you have could put potentially be coronavirus. So it was worse because she's black, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I hear um, it's pretty racist. And, and then, and then, then we had the whole thing where she had to go riot in the street, but you know, that's a whole different issue. Um, <laughs> well, that's the safest place you can be from what yeah. I hear. We should all be out in the streets. So how have I been dealing with, it? you know, it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it hasn't impacted our lives a whole lot. I mean, we've both worked from home to begin with. Uh, I'm not opposed to social distancing because I don't really <laughs> like people. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, you know, so it hasn't affected our income. It, it hasn't really, other than during the lockdown part, you know, I couldn't go to the gym and I couldn't go play ice hockey. That was annoying. But you know, even that is, has opened up now, but I think it's weighing on me now more than it was even then. I'm just tired of it. I, yeah. I, you know, like you said, I'm just tired of it. And, and the question that keeps coming into my head that nobody can answer for me is how long does this go on? You know, it, because this is a virus. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a biologist or a virologist or any other kind of ologist, uh, but I do understand that viruses are always around, that they mutate, that they don't just go away. It's not just going to magically disappear. Right. I'm not confident that they're ever going to come up with a, with a legitimate vaccine. I mean, they'll probably come up with something they'll in, try to inject into everybody. But Of course. So, so do we do this forever? I mean, like are, for the rest of my life, am I not going to be able to go to a football game, you know? And, and I know that's not the biggest deal in the world, but these are things that I enjoy yeah. doing. And it's just like, well, they are a big deal. Think about the people who work at the stadiums. Think about right. all those different people. You said yourself that it didn't affect you that much personally, but think of all the businesses. I mean, do you have multiple businesses that are closed that you used to go to in Pennsylvania? I could point to multiple businesses that, that were completely closed down during that time. And at least one that's never coming back because yeah. of the stupid coronavirus. And I went there every other day. Yeah. That pisses me off. You know, uh, a, a landmark in Lexington, Kentucky, where I moved from, uh, 
called Two Keys Tavern. It's a it's a bar. It's been there for like 65 years. I mean, it was a it was a campus hangout when I was in college. Um, it was a campus hangout for my daughter. You know, so it's like this long-standing, iconic uh, University of Kentucky landmark business, and they just filed for bankruptcy. Oh um, man. And, and, you know, it, and, and this is being repeated over and over. And I guess that's maybe why it weighs on me so much because I, I've been following the economic aspect of it so closely because of the work that I do for, for Shift Gold. I can't escape it. So every single day I'm looking at, oh, look what the Fed did today, you know. Uh, Sounds rough. And, and I wouldn't want to do that. And, and it's, it's like, and people don't realize it because, because we're at the very beginning. People think, oh, the economic the worst of the economic part was in March. No, the worst of the economic part is probably going to be like, you know, next year when you really start to see the ramifications of all of the uh, government uh, stimulus and all of the money printing and you start seeing the inflationary effects and, uh, you know, you start seeing these companies that are kind of dragging along because they're getting government money or whatever. Uh, it's it's going to be a slow meltdown, but it's going to be a meltdown. And people don't get it. And, and, you and know. dividing people into essential versus non-essential workers. Oh gosh, yeah. What, Every what is, single what's up with worker that? is essential in their industry. Absolutely. Like they wouldn't be there if they weren't needed by somebody and all the way down to themselves. They need that job because they need that income. <laughs> so every single person, every job is essential in that sense. So if you chop out these people and say they're not essential, well, what about the backlog of their services that people right. were using, people still will need? And eventually that's going to come back to bite, just like the hospitals now. Right. You know, the non-essential procedures that got backlogged. Now the hospitals are full and they're using the uh, full hospitals, 80% full of, you know, non-COVID uh, patients using that as justification to continue the COVID stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, that's the whole lesson of the, you know, Bastiat tried to teach us hundred years ago, the mm. uh, whole lesson of the unseen. And I think uh, economist Bob Murphy did a really good job of kind of explaining, you know, he said, imagine if you shut everything down and then you, you open things up and the carpenter gets to go back to work and he shows up and, and there are no nails because mm -hmm. nails were deemed non-essential, you know? Uh, exactly. So you have all of these ch supply chain disruptions and you see it if you go to the store. I mean, just bizarre things that, that are, you can't get. The prices uh, are going up as well. Well, absolutely they are. Uh, so yeah, the economic ramifications are bad, but here let's, let's try to be optimistic a little bit. I think the good thing is you've seen a lot of people that have given the big middle finger to the government. Uh, the, the lady that does my wife's hair. You know, when, when Jacksonville shut everything down, um, I guess back in March, uh, she closed for two weeks and then she was like, I can't not work for two weeks. So she sent out an email to her clients and she said, look, if you want to get your hair done, you can come in. It'll be one customer at a time. Just shoot me an email if you don't want to fine. And, and she opened back up and started doing business. And, and, uh, I even saw one of my lefty friends out in San Francisco, you know, his barber came to his house today because he's like, I haven't had a haircut since March and I need one. And of course the barber needs to pay his bills, which I'm assuming are, are significant living in San Francisco. So, you know, to me, that's good that you have people that are, that are like willing to just say to the, to the government and move on. But then the depressing side of it is, you know, you can't walk down the street without somebody pointing at you and telling you, put your mask on. They say it like that too. Right. Yeah, that's that's maybe my least favorite part, just because of the the Soviet ramifications of this telling on each other nonsense. Yeah. Like it's it's deeply disturbing to me that that people will tell on you for not putting a mask on. Or for opening your business any of this stuff people have have the the media uh, you know the media i hate using that term because as a journalist i understand that the media is not a monolithic thing but maybe the corporate media is, there you as go. malice puts it the most <laughs> horrible people in the world just if you say that we'll know who you're talking about yeah so you know people have really have i have friends that are are you know not tip, typically politically active, just normal everyday folks, you know, good good people that are freaked out because they honest to God believe that the coronavirus is going to kill them. And, you know, maybe I'm underestimating. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a vir virologist, but I just like, 
if I get it, I get it. Yeah. And, and for most people, they're going to be fine. It's a virus. I, you know, I take risks all the time in my life. I can't just shut down my life because I'm scared of a virus that is probably always going to be with us now till the end of time. But there are people that are absolutely terrified and, and they honestly believe, I think in their heart of hearts that, you know, people that aren't going to wear a mask are seriously putting them at, at, at health risk and exactly we're being called murderers for not wearing a mask. I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that because, because you can't convince them otherwise they're scared people, you know, you know how people are when they're scared. Um, I just going to try to go on with my life as best I can. And, you know, uh, as a Christian, it's like, if, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. Oh you yeah. Know? And God wants to take me out with the, with the Rona, then I guess that's, that's <laughs> That's just how it's going to be. But I don't know. It's just, it's so frustrating on that aspect of it because I just don't think you can live your life in fear or you should live your life in fear. It's just crazy to me. Like I've seen people be afraid my whole life. You know, after 9-11, there were a lot of afraid people. But I have never seen such widespread like acceptance of fear as a virtue. Yeah. Like, you're afraid and so you're in the right and i mean the the power trip these people are having about masks and being afraid to leave their houses as if you're a bad person i mean it's incredible well it's beyond reason it's the media and the government working together they're programming people to go into fight or flight at the sight of somebody without a mask and fight or flight doesn't care about you. You don't think about fight or flight. It just, right. it pops in. The government and the media are intentionally trying to program people so that that fight or flight pops up the minute they see somebody without a mask. And that's crazy. That's scary. They've been trying to do it with white people for a long time so that white males <laughs> you fight or flight. And it's worked, unfortunately, with a lot of people. But still, now they're moving on to masks and doing it. It's crazy. It's scary because people are very unpredictable. When that happens, what what frustrates me too is is this notion that because you're afraid, I have to alter my life and change the way that I do things <laughs> to make you feel better. And you know, I'm a I'm a relatively sensitive person. If I honestly believed that not wearing a mask was going to infect you, I'd wear a mask. But I don't believe that. And for you to place that obligation upon me when you don't even fucking take care of yourself, that were real, that's what really gets to me. You know, I, I want to take some of these people in the grocery store that are like pushing their cart full of processed food and sugar and they weigh 300 pounds <laughs> and they're yelling at me because I'm not wearing a mask. I'm going to start pulling stuff out of their damn grocery cart. You know, if, if you have the right to tell me I have to wear a mask to take care of you, then, then I have the right to say, okay, well, then you can't have your damn ho-hos. Yeah. Oh, that just burns me up. <laughs> Fair. This wasn't a rated PG program, was it? Oh no, no, no! I, uh, I'm not gonna have to be bleeped. <laughs> I had no, no, no. I had John McAfee on my show, and ever since then, it's just it is what it is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I had uh, I had uh, Maj on Godarchy, so there, there are Godarchy emphasis with f bombs. Cam made me recode how we do the programs in the at the MLGA network in order to allow us to specifically add explicit tags two uh, episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I think is crazy is you, you're right. When does this thing end? And I'll, at first it was, you know, we need, it's just going to be two weeks until we can get the hospitals ready. Right. For we got to flatten happen. the curve. Right. And then it's progressed so much further now to everyone's like, we're not going back to normal until there's a vaccine. Right. Here's the deal with the vaccines. It will take, two different major medical scientific breakthroughs for a vaccine to work. They'd have to make a RNA vaccine that works on RNA viruses and Mm -hmm. a coronavirus vaccine, which they've never been able to do before. And we're going to base whether or not we live normally and, you know, have tip like check our risk factors and make our own decisions on giant medical breakthroughs. Yeah. Here's, here's a question for you guys. If they come out, let's say January, and they come out and say, oh, we've had this great breakthrough. We've got this vaccine. Are you going to get vaccinated? No way in hell. <laughs> no chance. 
Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm not, I, I'm probably, you know, I lean more toward being a, an anti anti-vaxxer than, than being an anti-vaxxer. Like I'm not, I don't really have a problem with vaccines in general. Um, I think, I think they're probably overdone. I mean, I don't think you need a chicken pox vaccination, but you know, I, I don't have a problem with getting vaccinated for polio or, or yellow fever, but I do object to somebody forcing another person to inject something into their body. And I don't trust something that they've rushed into production in three months. And with given the dynamics that you've said, uh, you know, with, with, a va- creating a vaccination for a coronavirus that's never been done before. I, I can't imagine that it would be effective. And that's where we're really going to start seeing the rubber hit the road because, you know, I'm willing to put on a mask to go in Walmart. I'm not. I, that's not, <laughs> for me, that's not a hill that I'm going to die on. We're going to have a different issue when it comes to, to getting vaccinated. And, and you know, what, what are you going to do when they, when you have to have the card to show that you've been vaccinated? I, I think there'll be a good market for, uh, counterfeit vaccine cards what do you guys think hopefully that's a best case scenario <laughs> i think that that there's a good case of that but one of the things that worries me about the vaccine even voluntarily is the fact that the way vaccines work with the government like right now the current vaccines not a new one it's all protected the industry's protected in right. crazy yeah, exactly. ways protected oh, if yeah. there's an injury they can't get sued blah 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 how much more uh, statist security is this vi- uh, vaccine going to have? How well are they actually going to test it? And how much of that information are they going to share with the general public? Well, for one thing, they're not doing tests on animals, if you heard. And the human trials they have done so far have caused horrible, uh, what's the word, you know, uh, symptoms or problems. Side, you know, side effects. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. I mean, when it comes to vaccines what comes to my mind is well first of all the science makes the science of immunology makes sense nobody mm. yeah you don't question that obviously it just makes sense but when my wife was a junior in high school she got her regular boosters and she got sick she was mm-hmm. bedridden for nearly six months oh, wow. until they figured out what was causing the problems and she was scheduled to get another another round at the uh, during that time and they figured out what it was. It was she was having a reaction to something inside the vaccine. Hmm. And if they'd given her that third round, she could have ended up paralyzed or dead. Wow. That's that's scary and that's crazy. And she had that reaction. Six months bedridden. She had to leave school, uh, stay at home. It was nuts. So, yeah. And that was an old tried and true vaccine. You know, yeah. that wasn't some something that was rushed out. Our daughter Amity also had some major complications with one of them and that's when we stopped vaccinating our kids at that point we're like between i mean between what happened with hannah between what happened with amity like we don't want to risk our family using these uh these things that are being shoved down our throat by the government like if there was a free market in vaccines where they were actually there were companies competing with each other mm-hmm. and where the government wasn't protecting them and if they had a bad product you could actually take them to court for right. hurting There'd you be on li- purpose. product liability Exactly. That would be a a completely different world from what we have today. Instead, what we have are these vaccines jam-packed full of as many different things as they possibly can, protected by the government, because having the cocktails is so much more dangerous than the individual ones, and the government protecting them for prosecution, it's nuts. And it's going to be a thousand times worse with this new whatever they they come out with. And we most certainly won't be getting it. So here's something to run by you guys. I don't know why I'm why I'm giving you topics for your show, but it's just the- you, you care what we think. I think it's sweet. Thing, things that things that are, that I think about, but you know, you you talked about the monopoly on on the the vaccines. Here's another monopoly that the government has that I think has really created a lot of the problems that we're dealing with when it comes to more generally the coronavirus, and that's the government's monopoly on information. I really think that if we lived in a freer society, we would have better information at our fingertips that would make it easier for us as individuals to make rational decisions about how to protect ourselves and and how to protect our families and how to respond to this type of thing. Instead, you've got the CDC and the WHO that freaking change their policy every three or four weeks. And, And there's no... 
you know, you, you've got this this attempt to censor anything that's opposed to the the uh, whatever the main talking point of the day is, and that's not a healthy way to run a society. You need a free market in information, just like you need a free market in any kind of yep. product. And um, right now, almost all information—it's not just health information, but almost all of it—is filtered through the government. Yep. And I can tell you from experience having worked in the media having worked at a local tv station that the vast majority of your news is produced through government documents oh, yeah. and government channels you have press releases and you have uh you know you if if there's a, if there's an auto accident you're going to do that story based on a press release an interview with an officer on the scene and maybe maybe talk to a witness but if the witness doesn't say what the official narrative is you're always going to go with right. the official narrative and and there's a there's a motivation for that as a reporter you don't want to get locked out of the information channel and if you go against that narrative then they're just going to quit talking to you and then you can't do your job anymore so you know it's it's this this closed system loop and it's very very gross well and that's even that's even apart from operation mockingbird <laughs> yeah right which of right. course they're not doing the government insists they're not doing it anymore and we can trust them that that's of not happening not. anymore of course not I, I mean i never saw and i worked in i worked in local television for five years and i never saw any indication of of true collusion or anything that i would say was the government you know literally controlling but what you have is you have groupthink. Groupthink is a very powerful thing. In the first place, you have a whole bunch of people who are basically ideologically similar in their makeup. Uh, there's a personality type that goes into journalism, which I guess I had it too. But you know, it's the kind of I want to save the world, <laughs> you know, all that kind of nice stuff. But there is, it is heavily skewed to people who are who who drift to the left, and there's this follow the leader mentality and people would would get mad because they would see this you know uh this everybody's saying the same thing it's not because somebody came out and said everybody has to say the same thing but it's because everybody's afraid to say anything different because you don't want to stand out from the crowd it's a follow the leader business and you know if if channel 27 does a doesn't a story on x y and z then lax 18 is going to do a story on x y and z because we you know we don't want to be different it's it's a really weird kind of group thinky thing and it doesn't require any top-down guy with a bullhorn saying you will report this story it just happens organically. and yet there really is weird. i mean there are only what a handful of these companies who own all the local news stations and they do have stories that come down from on top and of course the local news station can decide whether or not they run with them but a lot of them do that's how you get the montages of them all yeah. saying word for word the exact same stories verbatim. I mean, these are news reporters. I'm a newsman. Well, you're really just reading a right. pre-written story verbatim that someone from some office 1,000 miles away sent you. So, Right. A lot of it's from yeah. like the AP or – and again, like I said, everybody's, everybody's working off the same press release. Yeah. yeah, and whoever's in control of that press release is the one with the agenda. Right. But I don't know. I'm not even sure that they necessarily are. I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I tend to be, I'm not very conspiratorial about things. You're too forgiving. They're monsters and they're out to kill us. <laughs> I tend to think it's just more laziness and stupidity and groupthink and conformity. After we destroy all the streetlights, we go after the journalists. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Streetlights, then utility boxes. And then wait a minute. I am, I am still technically well, a journalist the corporate media journalists we need more like you <laughs> yeah i don't i don't do that anymore. but i mean like look at cnn or msnbc i mean there is a marked difference between just reading the news releases i think that local news is a little bit different than national news yeah i would say that's probably true and i can't really speak to what happens at, yeah. at those levels but it's very clear yeah. that there's not a bias there it's an agenda thank you michael malice I mean, it's just a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he probably wouldn't make a distinction between local and, and national necessarily. So I'm curious yeah. though, Mike, why do you think media does, you know, swing so heavily left? 
without being conspiratorial. Well, how, like what? How do you think that happens? Do you think it's organic? The universities. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it's the the. I think, like I said, I think part of it is that journalism attracts a personality. Uh, it it is a, it is a personality that again, it's people that want to tell a story and change the world. I want to make there. We are make a difference kind of people, and people that are like that tend to be more of your right brain creative types, which tend to be more progressive just in, in their general nature and build up. Then you take those, those personality types and you put them into an educational system that is way skewed to the left. And it churns out, uh, you know, those type of people. So I went to journalism school at, at age 39 and 40. So, you know, I was, I was, <laughs> pretty immune to the indoctrination machine, but, and, and I could definitely see it, but you know, the, the courses that you're required to take, you're required to take sociology and you're retired to take political science and you're required to take ethics. Although I, th I, I had a really good ethics professor who was actually a Quaker. So she was pretty cool. Well, Quakers swing way left as well. <laughs> well, yeah, they do. But how do you admit that though, without it being conspiratorial? Because it seems academia is intentionally trying to move the brains of the people they're training, like intentionally mold them into that wildly crazy leftist progressive thing. That is conspiratorial. They're working together to manipulate the future of <laughs> everything. The, the question is, though, when I say it's not conspiratorial, I, I'm saying I don't think it is a top-down coordinated effort. I think it's organic. Oh, yeah. I think that I think that it's people that are of like mind, uh, and let's let's be real honest. Human beings are herd animals, and most people are lazy thinkers. And I mean, I'm uh, this is going to sound really snobby, but I mean, I think it's true. Most people are herd herd animals. They're they're conformity conformity thinkers, and there is a tremendous amount of pressure to to fit into the mold. And there are very few of us who don't give a damn, who are willing to say, no, I believe this and I don't really care if you don't like me or if you think my opinion's bad. And so, especially when you take young people, you know, you take somebody that's, that's 18, 19, 20 years old and, and you start filling their heads with this stuff and uh, you know, they're shouted down if they say anything negative. I mean, I don't, it's not a surprise that you end up with this this kind of group thinking worldview. And dude, you you sound you awful know, lot like know. a white guy. I just read that article last <laughs> week where white people are independent, objective. They uh, you know you try and solve problems using their intellect. They try and work hard to get ahead in the world. I mean, come on, man. You need to. You sound like one of those crazy white people who wants that stuff. Unlike the rest of people. I am white. I mean, there is that. <laughs> well, and I think that you're right when it comes to uh, herd mentality and, you know, certain personality types. Like, there's a certain personality type that becomes cops. There's a certain personality type that joins the military. There's a certain personality type that becomes nurses and teachers. Yeah. Um, I do think that that's very, that that's what's ha what happens. However, I do think, I mean, I think it's, been pretty proven over time that at the head of academia there is a giant push towards the left towards progressivism and sure. you don't have to have a top-down plan when you utilize the group think and yet there right. is a lot of top-down as well you do have george soros money and all these different things which do go into these programs intentionally sure. trying to manipulate it to the extent that they can right but george soros doesn't have to talk to the protester on the street he doesn't have to talk to the person that's d directly over the person on the street. All he has to do is let out a certain amount of information and the herd follows. Well, or give a certain amount of money to a certain arm of, you know, right. of academia, which will fund these crazy leftist weirdos who then exp yeah. extend, expand this thing. And yeah. Yeah, so much of it seems spontaneous because people are herd animals, like Mike said. So, I mean... There is someone that's at the top, but it's not top down in so far as the person at his local TV station spoke to his boss who got the orders from his boss who blah, blah, up and up and up. Right. It's a natural progression from 
one person saying or pushing an idea and everyone following suit. They didn't get it directly from Satan. Satan, George right. Soros, a bunch of steps, then the person on the street. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> does that make sense, Mike? It does. And and then, I mean, I would, not to get too weird, but I think there's a spiritual dynamic Definitely. to it as well. Oh, there's absolutely. You know, yeah. You know, the, the whole Ephesians, it's not against flesh and blood, it's principalities and... Powers and rulers in the unseen realm. Right. Which Ryan and I have been reading a book about the unseen realm, and that oh, it's a good book. Ooh, Such a good that'll book. that'll make you start thinking about things in a different way. <laughs> yeah, I've got a good book for you guys. Uh, a guy named Josh Cook. Um, I just interviewed him for Godarchy on the last episode, and he wrote a book about the uh, kind of the powers behind the powers, and and looking at uh, kind of tracing from old through the New Testament how. You can tell, you can see that there are spiritual forces behind the earthly governments and his basic premises that Satan is the, is the ruler of the kingdoms of the world, yep. which I think we would all yeah. agree with. Yeah. So. Well, the physical, Jesus yeah. said that, right? He did say that. <laughs> well, in the, the book that uh, I, I read, and I think, I don't know if Ryan's done with it yet. I'm not a book done with it The yet. Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, and what he is doing is that book is about uh, breaking down the Old Testament and looking at the Old Testament through the um, the eyes of someone in the ancient Near East. So mm. when you see the term the sons of God, to us, that doesn't mean much of anything. Or some people will say that means the line of Seth, the line of man that came from Adam through Seth. He's talking about humans. But right. in the ancient Near East, the there was a concept of the divine council. There was a concept mm -hmm. of a certain hierarchical order within the divine realm. And in that order were uh, what was called the sons of God, who yep. at the Tower of Babel all split up between the 70 nations and pushed the human governments into different directions. <laughs> so this is, a, this is exactly what... The book I just read is that it's the exact same premise. Yeah. In fact, some of the things that you talked to, I mean, the council and in Babylon and all of those things, those are those are things that Josh talks about. I'm looking well, for so. them on Amazon. I'm not finding there anything by Josh Cook. So now I'm oh Cody Cook. Cody it, Cook. No. The yeah. myth of the Cody. Christian nation. <laughs> I don't know. With Cody Cook. That's it. Yeah. Why'd I call him Josh? <laughs> He's Josh now. <laughs> But yeah, that's actually, it's funny that you mention it because that's exactly what I've been studying lately. So yeah. well, how about that? <laughs> Fight the powers. Trying to really, yeah, trying to really understand uh, the ancient Near East mindset, who the books were written to, mm -hmm. what they meant then, because there's a lot right. of stuff that we read and we read traditions into them. So like we sure. read a certain verse and we hear Augustine's voice rather than God's. Right. Which, you know, Augustine, he really liked the state. <laughs> yes, yes uh, he did. He's got a city here in Florida, though. So. <laughs> this book looks interesting, though. Fight the Powers, What the Bible Says About the Relationship Between Spiritual Forces and Human Governments by Cody Cook. I love that title. Yeah. It's, it's very good. It's, it's, a very, it's, it's a pretty short read. He's a theology student, so it's very... It's very, it's laid out very well, step by step. Like Only 105 pages. Yeah, that's a non-theologian. Yeah. Very cool. So. It's nice to see more than one person talk about that, because when I was reading the book, which is a, the more academic, like it's high so level, long. <laughs> longer book. Um, when yeah. I was reading it the whole time, like when I heard him talk about the concept of watchers or these angelic beings that live and watch and pay attention to humanity, it's like, mm -hmm. that's terrifying to me. I would much rather yeah. just think there's only God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit because yeah. it, it put it into this realm of thought that I was like, oh, that makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> did you guys ever, this may be before your times, did you ever read the Frank Peretti books? Yes. Yeah, I read a few I read of the them. the first one. Yeah. The, um, uh, what's something in the darkness? Piercing yeah, some, the darkness? Uh, or? Piercing the darkness. Piercing the darkness was the second okay. one. But yeah, I mean, and he, it was kind of funny because this, so this came out when I was in college. So this was probably like 86, 87. 
in that. Wow, were they really that old? I thought they were from the late nineties. Oh no, No. I I read them when I was a kid because my parents had them from the eighties. Okay. Yeah, but you know it's interesting because he he was trying to create an allegorical story, and he's actually it was, it was really it was really good reading, and it became this big thing because as with all of things that that you know you know how Christendom is, we get these little things that everybody gets on the bandwagon, <laughs> left behind, left tries behind, to yeah. Try, yeah, left behind. There was the the prayer of Jab- Jabaz prayer or of Jabez, uh, yeah. Joez or Jabez, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, so the Peretti thing that was that was one of those things back in the eighties. He was the Christian Stephen people, King. Yes, but people were taking like like some of the stuff that he was just using a story to kind of you know what he was trying to do was trying to show that there was a spiritual realm and that it did intersect with humanity. But he didn't mean it to be like taken literally. Yeah. But people were like acting like he was writing theology and that there were angels grabbing onto the top of your car when you're driving down the road. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Well, it's like people did that with Left Behind too, which is yeah led to a lot of questions in my life re- recently. That's going to be my next step. As I'm doing angels, yeah. and now after this, I'm going to go look at what the hell I got wrong about Revelation. That'll be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, well, I've got some good, some good revelation book too. <laughs> if you really want to, if you really want to, to get deep into the the whole idea of principalities and 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 whatnot, from from a little bit more of a of a liberal theological standpoint, check out uh, William Stringfellow. He was an Anglican theologian, and uh, he actually got arrested back in the Vietnam War for harboring a guy. Uh, I can't remember the dude's name, but he. Uh, he burned a bunch of draft cards using napalm and it was one of William Stringfellow's belt buddies. So they were like big anti-war people, but uh Stringfellow's got some, some pretty profound ideas about, uh, about principalities. And uh, he's the, he's where I got this kind of concept that the moral authority of the state is death. Yeah. That came from Stringfellow. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, goodness gracious. Oh, so I was going to say, uh, we were supposed to have Kim on here too tonight, which would have been fun. But I was going to, when that happened, I was going to start the show and I was going to say, Hey Mike, look at all of these people that have been on Godarchy except for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cam, we need to get you on Godarchy. <laughs> you need something. You need something to talk about though. Um, I'm good. <laughs> he doesn't want to be I mean, on I mean, your I'll show. talk about, I'll talk about anything. But uh, no, I was just joking. I'm not a. Uh, I'm just known as the troll, not the the theologian on. Well, Facebook. I mean, no, but that could be fun. I've you know I've had a fireside chat with an atheist. I've had a fireside chat with a Muslim. I had a fireside chat with a lesbian. I could have a fireside chat with a troll. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, but yeah, no, I. I just genuinely like you as a person and like talking to you. So I'm just happy to, that you came on the show. Well, I begged to come on this one. Yeah, it's been cool. <laughs> I said, I, I want to be on that one. I want to be with Mike. It's been too long since we've talked. So what we need to do, so we, we can't plan this like on the air, but we need to we need to figure out a time to, to get together since we're relatively close. Well, oh, for sure. And just hang out. And When I was looking at a car today, looking at, at finding a really cheap 20-year-old Corolla, that I can get for my uh, travels because I want to come out and see you. Yeah. That's one of the first things on my list of things to do in Florida. Now that we're the Florida bunch, the three of us. We could all go to the beach. I'm 20 minutes from the beach. That's true. I haven't been to a beach in a long time now. It's it's actually you know, The beach is my... The beach has honestly become... become it always has been my happy place. I've always loved the ocean. My mom's convinced that we were like pirates if if you believe in reincarnation. <laughs> but um nope. Which which we don't. But if we did, we'd say we were pirates. Just don't forget <laughs> but, your mask. Um Yeah. yeah the beach no, I was telling my wife. <laughs> right. No, we went down there, uh, we went down there on Sunday just to walk. And uh you know, first off, there's just something calming about the waves and stuff, but it's the one place that I can still go that seems absolutely normal. You don't see people with masks. You don't see people freaked out. People are just hanging out with their families. They're, you know, playing in the water, fishing, surfing, doing the things that, that normal human beings do. And it's like this, this little break from the insanity of, 
any place else you go where it's, you know, all weirdness all the time. Well, that's so. good to hear. Is Florida not making yeah. it weird for people on the beach at all? I mean, California, they just keep cracking down harder and harder and harder on people on the beach. Well, I don't know about, I mean, you know, I, we're in Nassau County. So, you know, basically I live in Georgia. <laughs> uh, so it's pretty loosey-goosey. Even when it was locked down, it was pretty loosey-goosey. They did close the beach. But, um, but you know, for the most part, people down, people here are kind of, it, it's very red state mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, I, the red, the, the Trumpers and the red state people, they annoy me in their own way just as much as the left, but they tend to be less right. intrusive. Live and on, let on live. Life. Their, their worldview bothers me. Their worldview frustrates me and the emails that they send me when I say anything negative about the current <laughs> administration drives me crazy. But but by and large, like I can hand, you know, I, we have Trump flags all over, like big flags, three of them in our neighborhood. <laughs> oh, you only, you only have three? Yeah, we only have three, but their neighborhood only has about 100 houses. My neighborhood so. has maybe 40 houses, tops, and there is a Trump flag every other house. Most of them <laughs> nice. are, are covered in, it's the, they're the most vulgar ones. So instead of like Trump 2020, keep America great, it says no more bullshit. Uh, we've got one of and those. Then we got we, one of those. I also have like, the one that's a. Uh, it says Trump 2020, and it's an American flag in the shape of a middle finger. And I'm like, this is <laughs> this is where I chose to live. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing: they're not going to yell at you for not having an effing mask. Good, true. Where I am, yeah. it is such a breath of fresh air after leaving Pennsylvania. Man, I'm in Ocala area, so area, so I'm just west yeah. of you, Mike, across right. a national forest. But um, or state forest, whatever. But yeah, yeah, no, these people, man, it's it's wonderful. I, we had technicians coming over, and they're not acting all weird or like, all right, can I enter? What do you require? Do I need gloves as well as a mask? Do I in Pennsylvania, everybody are like zombies. Yeah, it makes me think of that. Yeah, you have to perform a blood sacrifice before they come in your house. Well, you know, have you guys seen the music video, the nineteen ninety eight music video uh, for "Consume Me" by DC Talk? They came out with their supernatural album, and there's this this music video for that for that song, "Consume Me," and it's all these people walking in single file with these masks on over their faces, and they're just they're just oh, wow. and there's these these police, you know, with, with batons like watching them and and stun sticks, and all the people are just walking in perfect unison until one person pulls off a mask and realizes they don't need it. And they pull the thing off and it's like, oh my goodness. And they start breathing. This is amazing. And the person next to them is like, whoa, should I pull mine off? And then the police all freak out. But before the police can stop them all, they all rip off their masks and they all run out of the place. But the thing is, in Pennsylvania, it felt like I was living in that music video for months, ever since yeah. the end of March. It was just, <laughs> I mean, before I left, on just the last day, I was denied twice getting into places. That's nuts. Yeah. But here, when Dixie Man went there down the street, and yeah, I mean, granted, the majority of people had masks, but no one was weird about it, and nobody was acting yeah. strange, and yeah, it was great. That's what was so funny, is because me and my family left Pennsylvania right at the end of March, and I remember, like, Ryan was like, are you, you I know you, you don't seem to want to be here anymore, and I was like, dude, things are coming. <laughs> that I don't want to be yeah. a part of. And uh, there were a couple people who were like, oh, what? that's really crazy. Why'd you move so fast? And I was like, I, I, I was the canary in the coal mines, you know, like I, I smelt yeah. it. And then I was like, <laughs> and really the, one of the big things was when I was in a Wawa getting a sandwich and the lady was talking to the cashier in front of me and she goes, man, I just wish governor Wolf had some balls. I wish he was more like Cuomo. And I was like, ow. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the lesson here is when Cam bugs out of Florida, <laughs> go open, oh, go get ready to go. Cause I don't know where we're going to go from, from here, but that's what was so funny. Cause people were like, are you crazy? Why are you, why are you moving all of a sudden? And it was like the day we left, we, we packed everything up and I handed the keys over to the landlord and the landlord goes, Oh, Oh, you're leaving today. Yeah. I guess that's good. Tonight's the night when they put in the 8, 8 PM curfew. And I was like, it was that day. Yep. Skin of my teeth. Oh, wow. Yeah, you left the day <laughs> that the lockdown began. Yep. Crazy. Mm. 
And I didn't know about it until he told me as we were driving off. All right, Mike, I know that you're tired and I know that you love us and want to spend the next two hours talking to us, but I'm not going to let you do that. Okay. no, no. I'm going to let you go to sleep. But before we do that, I have one final question for you. Okay, I'm ready. What is your favorite thing about me? What is my favorite thing about you? (laughs) Gosh, I don't know. That's a that's a put people on the spot kind of question. (laughs) You mean to ask you a different one? I could say it's your amazing beard. (laughs) No, you know, I mean, in all seriousness, um, I don't know. You're just a a very welcoming, likable person. You know, like I know I didn't really know you until I got into the uh, into the Facebook group, and it's like. This guy's pretty cool. (laughs) You're just good people, you know? I try to be. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of those fun questions because people do go, oh, man, this is a lot. So I was going to give the option of is a hot dog a sandwich? Well, a hot dog is definitely a sandwich. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's not even even debatable. What's wrong with you people? The the real question is, is is ketchup a smoothie? (laughs) (laughs) Is, Is salsa a fruit salad? Ah, yes, it is. All right. Well, Mike, is there anything that you'd like to point people to that I haven't already named? Well, yeah, I probably should. Uh, I probably should pitch my book. If you want to be statist and learn about the Constitution, Ew. go to constitutionownersmanual.com. Actually, it's a really good book. I'm sure it is. Um, I think there's value in knowing what was intended. If for no other reason, then you can look at it and see what you didn't get. Yeah. Because basically, we could sue the federal government for false advertising based on the way the Constitution was sold when it was ratified and what we got. So, um, But I think just being a well-rounded, intelligent person, this is supposed to be our framework of government. So uh, I think it's worth knowing. Constitutionownersmanual.com and uh, buy one of my books <laughs> because <laughs> – brings income into my home, which makes my wife. Let me just say, I've never read or listened to anything of yours that I have not totally enjoyed. So yeah, I'm sure that book is incredible. I'm sure I could dig up something. Oh, oh, okay. What the one, the one exception is that sports garbage that you do. You can just stop that. I saw, I saw you live like yesterday and I started listening to it. It's like, Oh, Mike's live. Okay, whatever. Start turn it on. Start listening, and then you guys start talking about sports. Like, ah, get out of here! Crap. Leave me alone. You know the name of that. The name of that podcast is created just for people. Yeah, I know. Like Your you. sports ball. The sports <laughs> balls. At least you never have said bread and circuses. Let's just call it what it is: government mind control schemes. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> All right. Do you do you want people to find you on Twitter or anything like that? Do you want to talk to people? Uh, yeah, you can. You can. I, I'm a loser Twitterer, but I am there. Just read Peter Schiff if you want to know what Mike thinks. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, if you want to know what Mike thinks in terms of economics and investing, you can listen to Peter Schiff. Uh, some of the other stuff. <laughs> no, I, I like Peter. Peter's Peter's good. I'm at M. Harry Tenth. It's like one zero T H on Twitter. And then I have my own website, michaelmeharry.com, where you can find uh, Thoughts from a Harry Head, which I haven't done in like months. <laughs> it's such a great name. I also have music. My, my daughter came up with that. Uh, it's more ironic than yeah. anything because, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I do some music. My music is on my website and uh, various stuff. And then if you're if you're a believer or even if you're not a believer, you want to look at the intersection of Christianity and voluntarist anarchism you can go to godarchy.org which is really my favorite project but it really doesn't generate any income but what's that like not making income from a podcast (laughs) it's uh i think that's what we call typical right (laughs) i'm still waiting for one of our shows to go big so cam and i can start making all the all the big bucks and carry the rest of the shows on the network no the only way you're going to make any money doing a podcast i figured out how to do it only fans no i (laughs) I do make I do make money from from my Friday Gold Wrap podcast that I do for Shift Gold, but that's because they pay me by the hour. So <laughs> I think yeah, OnlyFans so, is probably what what we yeah, need. I'm going to start an OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on, Mike. If you want to find Ryan, type in Technoagorist anywhere. You'll find him. Yeah. If you want to find me, this is MLGA anywhere. 
Also, cam at mlganetwork.com, or if you want to talk to Ryan, ryan at mlganetwork.com. We're very easy. If you want to find my Patreon and give me money, I'll take it from you and do whatever I want with it because it's mine at that point. Um, but thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. And listeners, all four of you, stay sane.